2: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com.
0: That's A N G I.com. This is the Nerdist podcast number 338 Course of the Force. Last year, we started a lightsaber relay the five days leading up to San Diego Comic Con. It started in Santa Monica, ended preview night of Comic Con, and uh, it was called Course of the Force. And basically, we passed a lightsaber all the way down the California coast. Um, person-to-person in cosplay, mostly in cosplay, and it was all for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. We were able to raise enough money to grant around a thousand wishes uh, for kids, and it was a big partnership with Lucasfilm, and this year, it went so well last year that we're expanding it by a couple days, and this year we're actually starting Course of the Force at Skywalker Ranch, July 9th. Uh, ...through July 16th. We'll start at Skywalker Ranch, run across the Golden Gate Bridge, run through San Francisco. Yeah, Probably have to skip the grapevine. (laughs) It's probably not really safe. If you live on the West Coast, you would agree with that. Um, But uh, yeah, we're going to start in Northern California this year. It's all for charity. Come join us. Um, uh, Go to StarWars.com slash Course of the Force... And uh, figure out how you can sign up and and contribute and come join us. And your cosplay doesn't even have to be Star Wars based if you don't want it to be. There was a Marty McFly there last year. Uh, but there was all ty- kinds of con- cosplay, uh, but it's great if you come dressed up because the uh, the pace vehicle we have this Jabba Jabba the Hutt sail barge built, and that's the pace vehicle for, for course of the force. So you'll see that going down the freeway, and then you know some guy, you know someone dressed like Boba Fett or uh, you know General Grievous or whomever. Uh, and then the, the buses and there are parties along the way And it's super fun, it's all for charity So again, StarWars.com slash Course of the Force uh, Join us this year, July 9th through 16th I would like to thank uh, for sponsoring this episode of the Nerds Podcast LegalZoom, start a business You know, if you want an LLC or an S-Corp or a sole proprietorship Or a non-profit, LegalZoom would take care of you from start to finish It's an award-winning service They're going to help you out of LegalZoom customers say they would recommend the service to their family. So you'll be in good company. LegalZoom is not a law firm. It provides self-help services at your specific direction. But there's so much more. Now every LLC and incorporation package includes easy-to-use business accounting software, a $269 value for free. Be sure to enter Nerdist in the referral box at checkout. Start your business, protect your family, and safeguard your assets at LegalZoom.com, an affordable way uh, to file legal documents. This episode of the podcast is William Fickner, who uh, I've dug this guy for a super long time. And if you don't know him by name, even though you probably do, but if you, let's say you didn't and you saw him, you go, oh my god, that guy, he's awesome in everything. Uh, he's been in Dark Knight, Blades of Glory, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Pearl Harbor, Black Hawk Down. He's been in video games, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, uh, uh, Modern Warfare 3. Uh, he's been on a ton of television shows he was on Entourage for a while, Prison Break he's just a cool guy whenever he's on screen you're like, that guy's fucking cool and uh, his new movie is called Wrong and it opens the 29th, I believe, of March Friday, March 29th and uh, so here we go Nerds Podcast number 338 with William Fickner
2: Now entering Nerdist.com
0: So this is really easy. Yeah, you just have to get up on the microphone because it's it's sort of like radio style, and then we just start
1: recording, and that's it. We should do it like they did the first talkies, where we just put a pot of plants in front of you, but the microphone's in there, and you just have to lean into that. Oh, so so people don't know <laughs> like that the things old, the are old much... talkie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? yeah. If you see old footage of it, if you see really early talkies, you'll see the actors gathering around an object because that's where they put the microphone. <laughs>
0: they had to obscure the microphone <laughs> yeah. somewhere. The microphone was three hundred pounds, <laughs> and a million and a half dollars. It
1: was
0: a lie. Uh, William, Bill, what do you prefer? Uh, um, what are you in the mood for today? <laughs> I'll tell you what. Sir? We'll Sir. start with we'll start with William, start and then if William, you and if, then maybe morph into Bill, we'll see if we can. If if you feel like you have a good enough time, then we'll we'll see by the end of the podcast. It, do we get no, to you know graduate what? to Bill? If,
2: if I feel like it's going well, I'm going to say, "Call me Bill." Okay. I'm, oh, I'm going to bring you in. I'm <laughs> that gonna wasn't it. In. Just there. Was it? Gonna that was it? We're
0: going to be cute. No, that definitely wasn't That was it. definitely not <laughs> it yet. Okay. But
2: All that right. shiny Starbucks card. That that got me. I do Whoa. have a shiny
0: Starbucks card. That's one point toward Bill. <laughs> It's t- there's 10 steps to yeah, it's build. It's the
1: beef.
0: <laughs> <laughs> where, where are you guys from? Are you from here? I grew up in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis. But I've been in L.A. First. I'm from Boston. Boston. Yeah. My wife's from Worcester. 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 Right down for I'm a Buffalo guy.
1: All right. You're from the cold. Oh, the tundra.
0: Man. The tundra of it all. Do you live in L.A. now? I do. Okay. So how long did you live in L.A. before 60 degrees started to feel cold to you?
2: I don't know, but I, I own cardigans now. I'm an embarrassment to myself. <laughs> I swear
0: to God. It's, just, it's ridiculous. Um, They're very practical.
2: Oh, oh, you know, I still can't take like 31 days to sunshine in a row. It really is like... That uh, freaks you out? Yeah, no, I just I need a cloud. You know, I go home and it's, there's a cloud. Oh, my God, there's a cloud. Yeah. There's I precipitation.
0: S- I still, I've lived in Los Angeles since 1988, and I still, when the skies are blue, I just feel better. I just feel nice. Or walk outside. I'm like, we are so lucky. There are people blanketed in ice right now.
2: No, we get spoiled by it, huh? Yeah, we really do. The only day I have to tell you, I've I've, it's only been since my mom passed away. It's this this the second Christmas that I've spent um, here in L.A. Because I would always try to get back to Buffalo, and and I pray on Christmas morning that it's like it's raining.
0: <laughs> yeah. Some, some yeah. something that's yeah. like
2: Buffalo. Yeah. All
0: right, I, I would take Christmas I would, like a weird Christmas weather. I would,
2: yeah. I would be fine just with that. Something that makes you feel like you're there's a reason to be home. And I can't go to the beach on Christmas Day. No, that that part's weird. Yeah, I can't do that.
0: My mom's from Miami, and so she would always want to do these beachy Christmases where it's like all of the Christmas ornaments are like peach colored. You know, like she would do these <laughs> weird themes. I'm like, no, 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 come on make it a little she's like my white christmas is sand and I'm like no it's please don't let's have a little <laughs> bit of snow my white christmas is sand I know yeah you got to love her it's adorable um so you grew up in buffalo what did you did you get out of there pretty quickly did you go to new york
2: I went to college in new york uh two years in a school in long island and then transferred for another two years up near rochester kind of back in the same area okay and then after i graduated with my criminal justice degree i i Decided to go to New York and wait tables for five years. <laughs> uh, so I've been in New York, you know, for 29, 29 years I lived in New York after college.
0: What is a criminal justice degree? What what What, what is involved in criminal justice degree? I, you know, I don't know.
2: I was even president of the
1: club. I don't know. I just remember. I just <laughs> Guys, to,
2: why are we here? I tried to throw the party and get a rock
1: band <laughs> and make the most money. He also um, started the Letterman Jacket. We're going to have Letterman Jackets for the club. You know... <laughs> uh you know you take things you
2: know police things you know sure political science this that you know
0: and did have you ever
2: no I was halfway through my my degree i thought what am i doing i'm not i'm i'm having the greatest time of my life but i'm never going to do this
0: yeah
2: uh i took one police exam after i graduated and i think i was about halfway through it and i i really had the epiphany but like what am i doing here i'm Wow! Not, not that I, you know, I, 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 went kind of based on a suggestion. My dad said, you know, that might be an interesting thing to do, and I was like, yeah, that would be kind of cool, but uh, it never came to anything. And I, and I figured by the time I graduated college, I, I would probably do something else. But by then, I was taking a couple of theater classes and had an idea that, you know, wow, that, that, that's kind of weird that acting thing.
0: So. I'm going to go into a less stable business than criminal. I'm do, no, the, the unstable business of, of the universe. There's no shortage of crime. No. There's a shortage of acting jobs. So, no, did you, so now I just play cops. That which is, <laughs>
2: So it sort of falls no, I off. Love, I love when people ask me, so, you know, did that degree like help you play a cop? No. I'm like, no, <laughs> stop.
0: <laughs> I don't know if that degree actually helps cops. I think just being a cop helps people be cops. I, th- <laughs> I think so too. Do you, when did you start to, cause you, I mean, anyone, who people. Who, obviously people know who you are, but if you look at your IMDb page, it's amazing. Like it's insane. You've done so many of everything. It's incredible. When did that, do you feel like you've been working pretty much? Was there a moment where you're like, oh yeah, I'm everything's, the jobs are coming high and hard now.
2: I still don't think I look at it that way. Really? Yeah. No, I don't look at it that way. Um, uh, I don't, it's hard to say. I just, uh, I I know when I first went to New York and I was waiting tables and that, and people would say, Hey, there's a play going on. You want to audition for it and this. And I, and I, I felt for the first three or four years I was there, no, I'm, I, maybe it's my buffalo sensibilities of not putting the cart before the horse. But I didn't think I was ready to audition. I mean, I was just getting into it. It was fun. People, you know, kids that I knew at the time or young adults I knew at the time, you know, they, they, did theater in high school, they did it in college. I didn't feel like I had a sense of a a way of working. I really wanted to get some sort of um, technique or craft or whatever, at least feel like I had the experience that if I walked into a room, I'm not gonna embarrass myself like I know what I'm doing. Yeah. So, you know, I've always kind of looked at it that way. Um, Just taking it one step at a time. Just, you know, really the focus, and I can honestly say I still read a couple of the same acting books that I read when I first moved to New York. I still pull them on. I still read them, um, and I just feel like I'm, um, you know, kind of a student of the game.
0: Not being an actor for me, like, what does an acting book tell you? Like, does it just teach you how to go to certain places, or does it just sort of expand your mind philosophically about acting? What is it that you? You
2: know, the two best acting books that I ever got it was one by this gentleman called Michael Chekhov, who was, you know, out of Stanislavski's Russian school, yada yada, uh, and and another one that my teacher, my first acting teacher in New York, gave me told me to go get from the sports section called the inner game of tennis which oh. is all about playing tennis he said just read that book it's a great acting book he's right it's a, it's a great acting book um but uh you know what they give you is that you know uh everybody talks about you know schools the the actor studio or or the the meisner technique and all of these different ways the stella adler school of of acting and that i, I think that you you find out about these. I've never been one to think that one is, is the be all and end all answer. Uh, But I think if you, you read a book on something or you find something out or you take a class here and there, there might be something in there and go, you know what? That's, that's cool. That, that works for me. So I think that people develop, or at least I feel like, you know, hopefully I have uh, developed a, a way of working, which is, you know, works for me. It's a little bit of everything. What's in the tennis book. It's, you know, it's been a long time since I read The Inner Game of Tennis by Tim Galloway, but uh, I still remember the guy's name. But it, it's basically if you want to play tennis really well, watch really great tennis players. Like you can learn and take lessons in that, but go watch a great tennis player and watch what he does, watch his form because what you will do without, you know, 152 steps of like how to hit a tennis ball. Yeah. Like you got to turn here, get your thumb there, and those watch him and your body will try to recreate that. And you watch great tennis players and you're going to be a better tennis player. You're going to absorb that. Your body will do things that's, you know, it'll absorb, uh, you know, what it sees and it'll try to replicate that. And you will do things uh, that will surprise you. And, but, I, and I think in an acting sense, it's, it's saying basically, you know, watch things, feel things, you know, be in the moment sort of thing. You know, you don't have to figure all that out. Just trust yourself a little bit.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the biggest... I mean, I think with any kind of artistic anything, you have to get to know yourself and trust yourself and then be comfortable. Do you feel like... Do you feel like you're comfortable with yourself in a way that maybe you wouldn't have been if you had gone the criminal justice route? I mean, do you feel like acting made you more you? No, I'm a
2: mess, man. I got to tell you. Everything's going downhill. (laughs) You know, I don't know. I'm... I think it's such a wacky business to be in and, um, uh, you know, find your own joy. So I think in, in, in a life sense, like, you know, yeah, I, I, I like doing this. I like, I like this journey.
0: Yeah. I don't know. All I want to do is go
2: watch NASCAR
0: and you like NASCAR. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Explain it to me. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> I am Southern. I should understand NASCAR, but to my, Stupid brain! I'm just like, all right, they're going around fast in circles. What 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 is it that you're watching for? Well, you know, I like I love all motorsports.
2: Uh, probably, you know, the NHRA, the National Hot Rod Association. Those are the top fuel dragsters and funny cars. First love, right off the bat, right there. NASCAR, Indy car racing, any of that stuff. I think is you know, if you like motorsports, which. which you know, it's one of those, I think you do or you don't. Yeah. But I do think that, that if, you, if you really, have you ever been to a NASCAR race? I've never been to one. All right. So once you go to a NASCAR race, like the whole world changes. I'm not saying it's it's going to be yours forever and you're going to get it and you're going to love it, but you're definitely going to have a feeling and an understanding about it that you're not going to see on television. I think all motorsports come up short on television until you become a fan of them. Then you can watch it and, and kind of, uh, you know, take, take the ride a little bit more. But I think the whole thing with NASCAR is, NASCAR is NASCAR is like Ringling Brothers on steroids. It's a big deal. Yeah, Like the weekend races, it's not like a little production and a couple of signs hanging up on the way in and, yeah. hey, you know, let's go watch some NASCAR and have a beer. It's big. It's well run. It's huge. Uh, I, I, The more you understand about it, you know, I've raced a little bit myself. And the more you understand about it, the more you dig it, you realize that, it's not just 43 cars going around a circle, you know, and at 200-plus miles an hour, there there's a lot of stuff going on, and I think the last lap of the Daytona 500 the other day really shows you, you know, just little tiny moves because somebody smart enough to know how to do it at 205 miles an hour wins a race. Now, like, what was it that... Is it, what was the name of the, the woman who won? Uh, I know. No, the Danica woman who qualified number, number one place. was Danica Patrick, okay. who, you know, eight. came out of IndyCar after... I think seven years of racing IndyCar and came in NASCAR and she, NASCAR has two tiers. You have nationwide series and the sprint cup series, which is kind of like, you know, the major leagues to, to triple a ball. Yeah. But it's a lot closer than that. It's really close. Anyway, she came into NASCAR and it has run a couple of select big, big races in the cup series, which is the top, you know, the top series in NASCAR. And, uh, but for her to come in this year and, you know, a lot of people like everybody, you know, a lot of people, you know, why does she know how to drive in this? Let me tell you something. You get out there, And there's fifty some cars trying to qualify for forty three spots, and you qualify number one at Daytona. You know what you're doing. Um, You know she was in third up until the final lap, and then you know a couple of things happened. Ended up in eighth, but but it was great. It was great for it was great for the sport for sure.
0: Well, it's I mean people are I, I do understand the the rabid culture behind NASCAR, and I think. You know, it's sort of like coastal nerds. It's easy to kind of make fun of it and be like, oh, NASCAR. But obviously there is something compelling about it or people, it wouldn't be as huge as it is. Yeah, it is. It's
2: it's pretty massive in its scale.
0: Do you race? Do you like to
2: race on them? You know, I, the, the few opportunities that I've had, like the the pro celebrity raced on at the, the Long Beach and Grand Prix. The Toyota one? Yeah, the yeah. Toyota one. Have you ever seen that? Or yeah, yeah, not? yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, there's nothing. I mean, it's so, it's not like tennis or golf where, you know, you bring your golf clubs or your racket and like, let's go do a pro-am thing or. You get invited to say, These are race cars. They're dangerous. They're fast. Who the hell is going to put up that kind of money right. you know, to, to do like a race? But Toyota's been, this is the 36th or 37th year they do this pro celebrity race. I mean, people have been in this. George Lucas, Gene Hackman. I mean, Patrick I, Stewart.
0: A, a lot of people. My have, girlfriend's dad loves to race cars. Oh, yeah? Does he? Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's so rare to get the opportunity to race cars, especially for somebody. I mean, I don't have my own race car. Yeah. I have a really cherry 19. 19- 70 roadrunner that's that my wife oh keeps yeah can be you have the giant spoiler no no that's the super bird oh, same okay. year <laughs> my wife keeps saying why are your kids not on you know oh that's really cool right. is, do you just nice. drive that around or is that yeah, it's sitting just, in it just just nice. my my big toy california hot rod
0: oh, oh that's sure. really fun kyle has brought the frappuccino we got the
1: frap going on one step closer to bill do you like take it to track day and stuff like that do you, will you do that
2: uh, no, 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 no. I won't do that. It's, I, I it's bay- too, it's there. too baby. Yeah, it's, yeah I got gotcha. nice. gotcha. <laughs> It only has 44,000 original models. Oh, oh my wow. God. Anyway, that's that, um, that race down to Long Beach is a unique thing and I've done it, um, uh, a few times and there's just nothing like it because they send you to race car school. You know, they're not putting anybody out there that's a Yahoo. You really got to, you got to commit, you got to commit to go to race car school. You get there. And then on the Saturday this year, I believe it's on April 20th and it's all for, you know, Kids Against Cancer and, and the money that Toyota puts yeah. to the, uh, the, the Children's Hospital in Long Beach and in Orange County, which is, uh, you know, everybody races on behalf. Toyota puts money on behalf uh, in your name if you're a participant to these hospitals. They've raised millions of dollars over the last 30 some years. It's, it's an awesome thing. You visit the hospital, you visit the kids, you bring a ton of toys, and it's, um, it's a big day for them. And they come to, a lot of them get a chance to come to the track. And uh, it's, really, it's really, there's nothing like it.
0: That's really cool. When is that? Is that coming up soon? April. Yeah, it comes
2: yeah. up, I believe it's the weekend of April 20th, I think. Um, 18, 19, 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah 18, yeah, 19, yeah, 20. Yeah. It's, yeah.
0: It's, it's that weekend.
2: Um, and uh, you know, and, and the bottom line is the IndyCar race is on the Sunday and the, and the Pro Celebrity race is on Saturday. But the truth about it is when you, you go through all of this race car school and this and this and this and then you show up and there's tens of thousands of people that are there to watch that race on that day. Not only do you get to race, but it's a real deal street course, two miles, but you're doing it in front of, you know, tens of thousands of people. It's it's awesome.
0: There must be some part where they're like, maybe we'll get to see a celebrity blow up. Like there must be some ce- no doubt <laughs> about it. <laughs> Stephen Moyer, two years ago, flipped his car in the final lap of qualifying and, uh, He's a vampire. He's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the season has more danger from the
1: sun. Yeah, I mean, as long as, as just, the sunlight <laughs> doesn't get he'll in, just heal. he'll be fine. Yeah. Well,
0: yeah. that's why he flipped it. It was too much sun coming. <laughs> <laughs> that must be, like, every publicist must, be, agent, must be like, please don't do that. Please apparently, don't, don't race your
2: Apparently the way the story went,
0: that's, you know, I
2: mean, people mention it casually to the people they work for. Yeah, I'm going to do this pro-celebrity race. It's You know, it's for kids. And everybody seems, like, excited about it until someone posted a picture of his car about six inches, clearly, clearly in flight, upside down with him in it, before it like re-hit the ground. Somebody took this beautiful photo of you know you could see all the space right between the roof of that car and the ground, and I think it was about within like twenty minutes. I think he got a phone call. Um, that was that was the rumor that was going on. That he got a phone call from I, I believe whoever is you know. Was the boss of his show saying, "Were you really in that car?" <laughs> <laughs> because the race is tomorrow. And he said, "Yeah, I was in that car." And he said, "And and you will not be in that car anymore, right?" That probably would have been Alan Ball, I would guess. Um, whoever it was, just um, you know, said, "No, you can't. The, the season's still going on. You can't. You can't be in that car." You can't die. You can't get in there. You can
0: die when we're done with the
2: series. And, you know, I'm going to tell you something. He was such a gentleman, too, because to go through all of that, all of that, the training, you know, going for the week to race car school and all of this, and then finding out at the 11th hour, you're not doing the race. And he qualified number one, too. Oh, wow. And he couldn't, he could not do the race. Him and I were on the front row, qualified number one and two. He couldn't do the race. But you know what? The next day, he was there for the race. He was there for the banquet the following evening. He was such
0: a gentleman about it. Now, see, I like the idea that you're such a good actor that you called him as his boss. All right, uh, Stephen, you can't do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Take the number one. <laughs> this is your boss. I wanted him in it. We were looking forward to this duel. Really? What's your name? Ted, yeah. Boss, yeah. Boss, Ted Bill, boss Bossman. Ted Bossman. <laughs> Bill Boss, dude. I am not William Fickner. <laughs> uh, so if that's what you're worried about, I'm not William <laughs> Vicner. I'm not trying if that's to. what you just, were. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want you to think that. <laughs> uh, who else? Who else? goes out for the the celebrity? So who are, who are the other dragsters?
2: No, no, we had you know. And then you get some pro guys in there too because it's pro celebrity. You Get some NASCAR guys. You get uh, you know professional uh, off road racers and that. And these guys, you know, do it for a living. So you get together with them and they start thirty seconds back and they just they just let us go. They let him go, and usually those those pro guys they will catch up to almost everyone. You know, I would say fifty percent of the years the race has been held, that 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 a pro driver wins it, that he'll catch the group and he'll pass them. Wow! So it's so a celebrity there's winner or pro and wow. winner. Wow!
0: So was seeing a script like drive angry like aha. Aha! Uh-huh. Now we're talking! Now we are talking with that. <laughs> what do you, because you, you've done a lot of cool stuff that, you know, besides a million and a half movies, but you also, you were in a couple of the GTA video games and uh, Modern Warfare 3. And so people, so a lot of different generations of people are, have absorbed it's nice your work. Nice of you
1: to do that charity work. And it's nice to do the charity work.
0: Do, they, I've heard video game voiceover doesn't pay much. <laughs> well, video game voiceover may not pay a ton, but the effect that like people fucking lose their minds if they find out, like, oh, you're Sandman or whatever. And you get you a know?
1: free copy of the game.
2: You know what?
0: <laughs> I have a lot of nephews that were like,
2: I'm going to get a copy, right, Uncle Bill? I'm like, I'm working on it, buddy. I'm working <laughs> on it. I never played it myself,
0: but oh, really? I have copies of it. Yeah. You're kind of missing out.
2: I can, you know, that's what they say.
0: Do you like video games? Do you play video games at all, or do, do you, do? I, you know, Atari? Oh,
2: nice, <laughs> right? You're speaking nice. of language.
0: Now hey, we're back. talking. No, back when I was in school
2: in the '70s and in, in college, um, give me a great pinball machine.
0: We just talked Reach to it, Jeff Jeffries about man. pinball. All about pinball. <laughs> what was your game?
1: Your like, favorite pinball machine? You remember? I don't
2: remember the name of it, but it was one that had a, a spinning ring right about. Twelve inches right above the flippers there, and if you hit that ring, that thing could spin, and you could—I don't know the name of the game, but that was the one. Jim Jeffries, my friend Jeffries, could have told in you. My hometown—that was that was the game, and I—I loved it. Do you have pinball machines in your house?
1: Now? No, I don't. Well, what are you doing? Come on, let's let's get you a pinball I, I machine. I know, I know. Come on, I gotta get it at times.
0: You know, let's. You know, we'll, we'll, you know what we'll do is we'll we'll, we'll help you well, build. I heard out... you guys are gonna send one over. Yeah, we're gonna send yeah. over. a... <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, we should uh, build a Nerdist pinball. Machine. You want to call me Bill? I need a pinball machine. Uh, <laughs> we need we need to build you like a really cool garage with like a great race car and then fucking like a, just a wall of pinball machines.
2: I got a pretty cool garage going on. I I I could make the space for a pinball machine.
0: Can you fit? Are you are you super handy? Can you fix? Soup up cars and stuff. No, no, no. Minimally, you can change oil though, right?
1: Yeah, but who wants can. to. Yeah. I'm Sometimes <laughs> <funny>. it's fun. <laughs>
0: no, there's bad people do that for you. I
1: change up my rear diff, my front diff. I change. the No, I got on a there. I got a
2: guy that lives in in the valley, and I, you know he loves it. He loves tuning cars and that, and it's great. Man, I go to visit him. His name is Nick. Nick Jennings and drop it off, and Nick just, you know, yeah, man, let me let me tune it up for you there. Yeah,
1: yeah, but you have a Jeep, so those 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 are cars. Yeah, that I don't you can have to her- put it on a lift to get under it. Right, you and just, I can just, just get under it. Anyway, that's the beauty of a Wrangler, very versatile. Are there cars?
0: <laughs> do, do you do you do you have the one car? Do you have a collection, or no. do you no
1: single? I got kids. <laughs> I
0: don't want, I don't, want, I don't want car. And,
2: then, and I have. I just recently got a new pickup truck, a, a Tacoma four door, and, and I love it. And I had it for years. I get. Listen, I get cars and I fall in love with them. And and I baby them. I clean them. I arm all the engine. Mm-hmm. I just. I'm one of these people that believes if you take care of cars and they look really great, they they take care of you. So apparently, it's been pointed out to me by someone that every 21 years, I have a car. I have a '70 Roadrunner. 91 Montero, and now a 2012 Tacoma pickup.
0: You're on a cycle that you weren't even aware of. I, it's crazy. It's crazy.
2: So I, I get the Tacoma, and I'm like, well, I'll, I'll get rid of the 91 Montero. My two sons, 10 and 20 years old, are like, you're going to what? <laughs> That's a that car. The older them. one's like, I came home for, in the hospital, and now you can't get rid of that. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do with it? So it sits on a driveway now with a cover on it. Just to keep your, your uh, kids because comfortable. They can't, uh, he comes home from college, and he's like, I really want to drive that car. Wow. All right. What are, are, what are your kids
0: what are what are your kids studying? What are they what do they want to do? My do older
2: boy he's an English major at uh Bowdoin College in Maine. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And uh the little one's 10. He just wants to hit a home run in about an hour and a half from now.
0: <laughs> oh, is he uh Yeah, he's got a Oh. We had a game tonight. Yeah, nice. we had a game. Oh shit, that's not okay. It's a big, it's a big match, or is it just like a regular season. They're all big <laughs> matches when they're that age. Big match. I don't know it's a baseball.
2: Stop it. Well, <laughs> we went to the first practice like two weeks ago. I thought, oh my, this is bad news bears personified. Nah. And we had our first game on Saturday. They were not bad.
0: Are you a good? Are you a good dad
2: in the stands? You're gonna be like,
0: get out there! What the fuck is he doing with the gumpar? No,
2: you can't. You know, <laughs> the league that we're in, it's it's an awesome league. Uh out of like the La Center area and there's no, the guys that run this league, they're, they're, they're gentlemen. There's no screaming parent thing. No, I mean, for real, if that goes on, they, they will come over and absolutely tell you, you, you got to calm down. We don't, we don't do that here. I mean, they're enthusiastic and they love baseball, but I'm not one of these parents that have, have ever been or want to be involved with, you know, or excuse any sort of behavior that I think is just absolutely insane like, I, I, I don't do that. I mean, if, if we ended up with a coach that was a screamer, I, I'd, I'd look at my son and go, let's find another team. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to do that. No. That's, that's nice. Youth sports that gets into that insanity is just, come on, if he's not having fun doing it. I don't care. I don't. I'm not trying to groom him to be
1: a major league baseball player. I want him to have confidence and But fun. to be fair, it would be nice if he grew up to be a major league baseball player <laughs>
0: <laughs> who also was a race car driver, and then alternated. You Stop, know, guys, you know, <laughs> get me going. Man. Keep that up. You're not going to call me Bill. <laughs> oh shit. Damn no, it! Really, it's still William. I know. Okay, oh, we're still at we're William. Working on it. We're about halfway through. But William. Okay, fine. We're fine with William. Yeah, you got it. You worked on so many like. Do, do, when did you start to feel comfortable? Did you ever? I mean, you know, you, you're, you're working on films and it's just like even from pretty early on with big actors. And, and do you feel pretty comfortable in a room or is there any sort of did you have to adjust to that? Or are you just a naturally grounded dude?
2: No, you know, well, <laughs> um, you know, I, I in my late 20s, I, I, I got I got a job. And I swear, I think I was the last person that I knew out of everybody living in New York. All my contemporaries and people that I know. Everybody was getting parts in films except me. I got a part once in Malcolm X. It was one scene. I was like, finally, I get a part in a movie. You know, they they called me the night before. They go, they wrote it out. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I took a job once. I remember uh, I, I had no money. Nothing was going on. I, I had to get a job. I was living in the village. And... I got two jobs on one day. One was was on As the World Turns, yep. soap, and one was doing a play at a regional theater in Portland, Maine. It was a tough call. One was like the kind of money I'd never made before a daytime television show. The other one was a really good play, a Lanford Wilson play, and I was like, wow, this is going to be hard. I took the soap. I was on the soap about a month when I went to the executive producer, and I said, I want to thank you very much. This has been great. Can, can you write me out? Oh, <laughs> wow. Was, yeah, he was... Yeah, he let me know what he thought about that request. Um, so after about a year and a half, they came back. They said, you still want to go? Because I had a three-year contract. And I said, yes, I do. So then they figured out, I think I married my cousin and I left. But, um,
1: <laughs> These kinds of things happen the, the as first, the world the turns. The first
2: eight months that I was on that, on that, so, I swore that boom picked up my heartbeat. I mean, I was so, oh, man, just it was nerve-wracking. You know, yeah. cameras rolling. I don't know. Am I looking in the right place? It's those it's those 2 years that I was on that soap that you know when when finally things started to shift and I started spending more time in LA and working in film and filming that it's the 2 years on the soap that really grounded me out um, besides you know working doing theater and all of that and trying to you know get your craft together and be a better actor but but it's that time on as the world turns that just really gave me a comfortability in front of a camera that uh, to this day I mean you know you know, especially like last summer, I was, I I played this part uh Butch Cavendish in the new The Lone Ranger that comes out this summer. Mm-hmm. Just, just one of the most awesome experiences ever. What a, what a great seven and a half months working on this with Army Hammer and Johnny Depp and Gore Verbinski directing it. And, I and mean, it's it was, The Lone Ranger. It was the biggest production I'd ever Andy been on. I've in Albuquerque. i worked on some big, fi- yeah, there you go. <laughs> 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 I've worked on some, some big films, but this was just massive movie making, you know, and it's such a joy to be around all of the scope and the size of all of that and just feel uh um just really comfortable um, in that sort of atmosphere. Yeah. I,
0: I wonder if it's not until those moments where you kind of don't realize it because you're just going through living your life, doing your stuff. And then something like that happens and then you can and you kind of stop and go, oh, yeah, I guess I I guess I did grow a bit. Because I'm not freaking out about this, and it feels like it, like this should be. I mean, when you're a y- when you're young and you first start working, if someone just hands you something like that, you almost don't know what to do with it.
2: I, I think it's true, and I think that you know. I mean, people have said this, and I, it's not like I'd sit around and you know, write papers about it. But a lot of you know, a lot of people that that at least have noticed over time that that have major success. Um, you know, late teens, early twenties, and that without a real, you know, grounded sense of working. And believe me, there's brilliant actors out there that are that are just gifted and young, but there are a lot that have a have a moment and maybe don't sustain that throughout an entire career, or an entire lifetime. Um, I don't. I'm not sure of all the reasons in that, but I think that I think that um, um, you know, at least you know, I, I. It's unfair to say this in a general sense, but I think for me. I think coming out of New York and 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 out of working in the theater gives you kind of a base on on how to work. I tell yeah. young actors all the time. They say, "Hey, where should I should I go to Chicago? Should I go to L.A.?" I tell them, "Go to New York. Go to New York. Figure mm-hmm. out figure out a craft. Figure out what you're doing."
0: Oh, L.A. is not a good place to go as an actor. No, right, just, right off the bat. Unless you want to start auditioning for, you know. But it's just,
2: you know, it's the, the true theater scene. You know, not that there's not great theater in L.A., but you know, if I was to say, if somebody said, "Hey, I really want to learn theater," I'd, I'd tell them to go to New York. Yeah. Go to Chicago. Um, but also, too, it's studios out here. You know, you know, you pull up as a young actor, you look at that big studio gate. You're not, you're not walking through that, not unless you have somebody that's going to, you know, open that door or an agent or something as opposed to a young actor that's in New York and living in the village and he walks by and he runs into a playwright that he knows and, hey, I wrote a play and we're going to do a reading of it. And I got a director over and all of a sudden, you you know, you got 25 people and you, you're starting a theater company. It happens all the time and it works and, and you learn.
0: Yeah. What was your favorite, uh, back when you were doing theater in New York, what was your favorite kind of young, when you got this job, you were like, yes, this is exactly what I was talking about before. Uh, I,
2: I was part of a uh this which is no longer a theater company called circle rep and uh the american uh, uh, playwright lanford wilson began this this theater company back in back in the 60s and that and and sometime in the 80s early 90s uh there was uh there was a production with julie harris five-time tony winner julie harris was in this play this off Broadway play that circle rep was producing. And it was a real kitchen sink drama with only like a five character play. And, and I remember when I read that, I thought, Oh man, I know they're going to look for some like, you know, movie star to come in and play this or something. And, um, I ended up getting that role. And that was, that was a big thing. That was a really big thing. Cause that was a, that was a really, it was a great, great
0: part. Do you like pressure? Do you like the pressure of, okay, I got this thing now. Now I'm, is it, oh shit, I got the thing I wanted, now I don't want to fuck it up, or are you good with going, okay, now I'll just figure it out and we'll just have fun with it?
2: I try not to, you know, you know the whole scene also with the theater scene, which which taught me a big lesson, I don't mind sharing the story, it's a short story, but I'll make it a short one. Uh, I did a play once at the Public Theater, which is a very reputable place to work uh, in New York. It's down in the village on Lafayette Street, started by a gentleman named Joseph Papp, and it became something where there's several theaters within this old building and and he created this off-broadway space where these theaters are amazing work comes out of there and i did a play there and and an opening night of this play it was a play that was done in the 1920s and and uh naked angels this theater company resurrected this play and 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 they did it at the public theater and it was a it was a big deal and it was written by a woman in the 20s so that was like a big deal and Clark Gable played the part that I played, like, in the original production, and it was on Broadway. So opening night comes, and, 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 you know, everybody's waiting at the party for all the reviews to come in and everything, and Daily News comes in, and it's like, you know, yeah, it's a rave, and they, you know, they pick out three or four people, and they mention me, it's great. The New York Post comes in, and they love it, and they pick three or four people, and they mention me, and the New York Times comes in, and they they pick three or four people and they say, you know, love this, love the production. And then they save the last paragraph to like, and now we're going to tell you what didn't work. Oh no. Right? And it was one paragraph about me. Oh, and you know, you're still going to show up the next day and you're going to do this thing for as long as it runs. And the New York times is, you know, that's it. Certainly. I'm sure it's the same today that everybody wants that. Um, but, uh, I would say the next two and a half, three months while that show ran, what it took to like, to go every day to work on that play and find somewhere to take that information of that review and put it away where that had like, like zero meaning in your life. Uh, That was my next, that was the rest of that run and that show. And after that, I said to myself, you know what? You you take the good with the bad. You believe, you know, if you want to, if you want to hop in and believe what everybody's going to say about you, go ahead, take that journey. Uh, for the most part, I've chose to you know step away from that. So, uh, do I really care about everything that's happening in the review end of it? No, I really care about am I finding what I what I think I need to find to make this guy real.
0: Well, that's uh, the whole idea of trying not to internalize too much when the whole I you know like especially when you're an actor when you cannot be in your head. And then you just have this thing gnawing in your head when you're trying. Oh, is this what they saw? Oh shit, am I not? Am I doing it now? What the fuck? <laughs> like that sucks. Totally sucks. <laughs> and let
2: me tell you something. So I mentioned this thing with Julie Harris, right? Yeah. There was a, a reviewer at the time. His name was Frank Rich. He, no, he now writes on the op-ed page. Um, Frank Rich at the time was absolutely no doubt about it the most powerful man in and is certainly in the world of reviewing New
0: York theater.
2: If Frank Rich wrote you a bad review when you were on Broadway, there's a good chance you're not going to be around for the second night. Like
0: Sweet Smell of Success.
2: Yeah, just gone. So Frank Rich writes this review for this show that I did at the Public Theater. Fast forward, I don't know, I don't know how many years, a few years later, I get this thing down at Circle Rep. Frank Rich announces that he's retiring. It may be his last production that he's going to review is this one that I'm doing with, with Julie Harris. It, it, I'm not sure if it was his last one, but I think it was. It certainly was one of them. Anyway, so Frank Richards coming. So there's no doubt that I have this little bit inside of like, oh boy, here we go. Um, just let it go, let it go, let it go. So I didn't read any reviews. I told all the other actors in the play, don't tell me anything. I don't want to know anything. Just all I want to do is, do this production, do it for the joy of doing it. And we ran for like three months. And at the end of it, Circle Rep gave me a packet with all of the reviews and everything that was written about the production and that. And front and center, the first one when I opened, and I, and I looked at it the night after we closed the show, and I pull it out, and it is a review from Frank Rich on the show. And I'm like, right, here we go. And if I asked him to, if I wrote down like a couple of paragraphs and said, please say this about me, like, that's what he wrote. Was, oh, uh, that's nice. I uh, believe me. I'm. I'm. I, I'm. I'm sure he didn't do it because he felt bad about the other one, but um, uh, it was an interesting thing. And the lesson learned in the whole deal was when I sat around that last night and I read the reviews for this, and there was a nice mention in Time Magazine for this play and me and. But you know what? I, it felt a lot better not to look at any of it, and not really care about it. Because it was good to read it, but it wasn't as good as, as doing the whole thing and not caring about it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, especially because, you know, good review or bad review, it doesn't really help you in any way. It, it's still, and I feel like it could get in your head either way. It either gets in your head, oh, they think I'm doing a bad job or, hey, I'm awesome. You know, like, but either way, you're still thinking about it too much.
2: And that can happen. You know, I've seen it happen. I don't want to go there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what's a movie that, uh, or what's a character that you, uh, that maybe people aren't necessarily as familiar with, but you really feel like this is a really strong representation of my work, like film work. Like what's a movie that if someone were to say, hey, you know, what movie viewers do you like? The Like what, what, what would you tell people?
2: For characters that I've played? Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I really like, uh, uh, and a lot of this stuff uh, I, usually takes me about three viewings of a film to, first time I see a film that I'm in, I usually let, love everybody in it, and think the movie's pretty good. Second time, I think the movie's really good, hopefully. Love everybody in it, still wonder, what the fuck were you doing, Bill? <laughs> and usually it's about the third time where I can, I can get out of my own way and watch it and think, eh, it's not bad. I think, I think Go is, is, um, is a pretty interesting character. I also think Drive Angry um, was something that I, I really immensely enjoyed playing that part. Yeah. It's a shame that my four sisters and two aunts saw it, and maybe that's it. <laughs> but at um, uh, Contact, there's, there's some, you know, hopefully. Uh, go
0: the John August movie. Go. Yeah. Yeah. A fucking great movie. Yeah. Melissa McCarthy's in that for like a minute. Is and she it was in like a- her first movie. I think it might have been her first movie, and she's in it for a second. It's it's the one with Jay Moore and the guy, and she's and yeah. The, that's
2: my that's my sequence with Detective Burke. Yeah, yeah.
0: And she's like, you guys almost missed each other so many times. Like she's the roommate. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that that's Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> but that movie is fucking awesome. And I, I assume that everyone listening to the podcast has seen Go. But if they haven't, they should absolutely see that movie. Go yeah, goes
2: goes Doug Lyman's it is it is very best uh, it's just a
0: really, Timothy Oliphant's in it yeah. and uh, it's a Sarah
2: Pauly is just amazing
0: yeah I like that movie so so go uh, uh drive angry you liked what else a contact you contact, like too yeah yeah
2: I thought that was um you know uh, listen I, I I it's not like I work on things where I think ah oh, maybe I'll like this after I do it you know if I, I if I don't love something or really want to be a part of it I don't really you know pursue it
0: is that, would you say that that's probably the best advice you could give to a young performer is just find stuff that speaks to you and do it as opposed, because, you know, the whole, there's just a whole political business involved, which seems shitty and hard to navigate.
2: You know, there, there's, there's so much that a young performer cannot, you know, cannot control. Um, I, You know, you can't cast yourself. Right. I mean, I remember when my mother came to visit me when I had an apartment in Queens, right by where the Mets play by the old Shea Stadium and, My mother came to visit and and she was around for the weekend just seeing what I was doing and waiting tables and that. And she said to me, well, it seems like there's only two things you can control. And you know what? She was right. She said, how clean your apartment is and how much work you put into what you're doing. And that's the bottom line. How much work do you put into being a better actor and cleaning your apartment? It was about the two (laughs) things that you have control over. Everything else, so much of it is out of your hands. I mean, everybody's going to get a shot. You know, if, if you're in it and you care... Um, one of these days, whether they say, you know, somebody opens a door for you or whatever, you know, sometimes the doors open, you don't even realize it. Uh, you know, are you ready when it happens? You know, you're ready to throw it out there. Um, I tell young actors all the time. I said, listen, you know, what you need to find inside of yourself is the positive fuck you. And what that is, is like, listen, walk in that room. And don't worry about you know trying to make like 14 people happy about what you're going to do. Walk in that room and do the thing you want to do. Just get a positive thing inside and go, listen, fuck you, everybody. I'm going to do my thing. <laughs> lay your thing down. Believe me, if they hire you,
0: they're going to lay it down because you did your thing. And But to, even even with that, you kind of have to – I think people have to not – you just can't control the outcome. There are so many things about the business that have – not even that much to do... I mean, maybe it's different in film, but certainly in television that have... Eh, not really a whole lot to do with your performance. If you're good, that's a bonus. But do you look right for this thing? And how tall are you next to this person that they cast? And blah, blah, blah. It's all that other shit. You
2: know, there's... there's Sure, there's there's absolutely, you know, a large element of that. But I, I think, for the most part, the, the sort of projects that um, everybody wants to be in because they're good... I think the people that are involved with that, and I've certainly worked with dozens of directors that are, you know, they're not hiring people because, well, he's 6'2", and his hair is blonde, and he has one green eye. Boy, right. he is the guy. Right. I think they're looking for somebody to go in and rock their world and, and find out, you know what, that's not what we were thinking about, but boy, that guy's good. Yeah. I hear more stories about that from directors that are friends of mine that had an idea of something we yeah, We're going to, we're thinking about this and somebody else comes in and just knocks their socks right off. Mm. I got to tell you something. They're probably going to get it.
0: How do you keep, uh, (laughs) how do you keep surprising yourself? Like, how do you, how, how do you keep it exciting and fun? And you know,
2: well, you know, I go home and I tell my wife, I said, honey, You know, I'm in the big movie, The Lone Ranger, and she's like, yeah, take the garbage out. (laughs) So I'm I'm humbled daily. Um, I don't know. I think it's always, you know, if it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. You read a script and you think, my God, that was good. Wow, that was really, that was riveting. A lot of times I'll, I'll get something and my manager will say, "You know, hey, check out this part in there and I'll read it, and it's something else that I find really exciting what's the thing, you know? I mean, you, you never know what it's going to be or, or what's going to hook you on something. Um, for me, I'm, you know, I play questionable characters at times, bad guys or whatever you want to call them, but, you know, I, sometimes you read, it, you, know, you read it and you think, okay, this guy's got something else going on that makes him, like, he's crazy, but he's
0: real. Yeah. Um,
2: so you never know. Every time I open up a script and read it, um, something new's going to come.
0: What's the key to, what's the key to really playing an effective villain? Is it that he doesn't think he's a villain?
2: It's, it's I'm, I'm telling you, hit it right on the nose. Uh, you know, an asshole doesn't think he's an asshole. Uh, I, I know this much. I, I've read scripts before where, you know, I'll look at it and, and it could be the villain in a piece and. I mean, every line he has through the entire thing is just like, it's like snidely whiplash and twirling a mustache. And <laughs> how, how much meaner can you get to the next thought? And I, I don't know how to play that because he's not, he's not a real guy. Yeah. I think that, I think with all characters, whether good, bad, whatever, um, if you find out what somebody cares about, you know, like the character, if you find out what he cares about, I mean, you know, whatever that is, then you then you got a guy. Then you got a guy that's operating in his world where he's thinking about you know. Then all of a sudden he's kind of grounded in his own way, and you, you go through you know. And then you you got something to find. You got some 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 journey to take with him.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you? Uh, are you a comedy guy at all? Do you? Do you? Were you? Do you?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean you know I do things that are you know. Of of a comedic nature, I think goes certainly in that goes hilarious. But I
0: mean, are you a huge comedy fan? Like, do you like do you like stand up, or do you like comedy film, or or do you? It's like, is there a specific?
2: Love it, love it. I mean, who doesn't like to laugh? I I don't see enough comedy live. I went to uh, God about three years ago. I went to a comedy club for the first time. I went to the Improv and and Louis CK was there first oh time yeah I, first time I run in a comedy club and of course it's mm. Louis C. oh you K. get spoiled could, no but with him yeah yeah can you imagine the first time you see a live comic and it's him <laughs> I, I think truly the funniest hour of my
0: existence on this that's planet. the best and worst thing that could have happened to you because uh, where do you go from there <laughs> where do you go where after do you go from there Louis <laughs> oh, like my
1: my first concert was Paul McCartney I'm like yeah, my yeah. first
2: rock concert was Black Sabbath.
1: Oh shit! Yeah, after that, yeah, what do you, and then what I do you, saw
0: Zeppelin. Jesus. Three times. <laughs> oh man, what what a, what was Zeppelin like live? Not,
1: not messy.
2: Not as crazy as you think, because you got to remember, back in the early '70s, um, if you went to a bar and saw a band, you know they got like four martial amps up on the stage. When you went to see Zeppelin, they had like forty. Martial Amps up on the stage. <laughs> sound quality was not, you know, I mean, it was great. It was Zeppelin. You're seeing Zeppelin. You yeah. Know. I think the first time I saw Zeppelin was the Houses of the Holy Tour, and then I saw the Physical Graffiti Tour. But it wasn't until I remember the first acts that came along that really, like, all of a sudden got sound quality together. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of a sudden. And then um, the first time I saw Yes in Rochester at the, the Civic Auditorium, Yes was the first band I ever saw They put the speakers up in the air. So all of a sudden you had, you know, you used to always close off behind the stage, you know, that nobody sat there. Yes put the speakers up in the air and all of a sudden the sound quality got, it completely changed. And then when I saw the first time I saw the, the Yellow Brick Road tour with Elton John, mm-hmm. then, then that was like closing your eyes and listening to the album. Mm. It got really good. And from there, you know, and then the 80s came along and, you know, things started to go digital and people could really, you know, reproduce sound quality live in an auditorium that, you know, would blow your mind. I went to this, I went to this concert in 1986. It was Atlantic Records did a 40th anniversary concert in Madison Square Garden. And it was like an 11 hour concert. Uh, all people from their label, you know, from Yes to the, the The Bee Gees, Genesis, Phil Collins, you know, the Coasters. I mean, everybody that recorded on on Atlantic Records. And at the end of the night, they say the last hour for the three remaining members of Zeppelin plus John Bonham's son, Jason, who Mm -hmm. played the drums. And they came out and they played five songs. But that was seeing Zeppelin for the first time with like high quality, you know, a whole different deal. Mm-hmm. You know, a decade and a half later of, uh, of, of, you know, the technology advances in like sound production in a live space. It was that was mind blowing. Yeah. You like your seat shook when they played Cashmere. Um, I remember that.
0: Oh my God, I can't even imagine. Well, I mean, I guess you can do that if you're Zeppelin, but fuck it, but headlining that show. I'm just thinking about all the logistics of like, oh, every fucking band's gonna have a specific thing and a specific setting on the soundboard in a specific way.
2: However, they did it, they, you know, it went on all day long. Crosby Stills Nash just, it just went on. Everybody came out, did three or four songs, next person. That's a great concert. You gotta make sure you're prepared for things like
0: that. <laughs> did you go for the whole 11 hours? The whole thing. Oh shit. Absolutely. How were your seats? not bad not bad right,
2: like literally stage level all the way on the other side but it's, you know it's an indoor or, you know Madison Square Yeah yeah of, of course topic. so kind of eye level with the stage you know maybe f- five rows up from the other side looking straight at the stage
0: is ba- is music is that something you would have uh, like you know it in another life would you would you like oh maybe I'll you know maybe I'll be in a band or play guitar do you do you kind of when you're watching music you like fuck I really want to be up there or do you just watch as a fan
2: I, you know you know what I marvel at? I marvel at the, the, the people that end up being in bands and, and, you know, make a massive success, you know, making music. They're the kids that, like, you know, they're the kids that's seven, eight years old that, that want a guitar and they don't put it down. And that's really tough. I mean, who figures out back then, you know, I, all I wanted to do was run, you know, run with the, the guys and just run all over the town and... I, you know, sometimes, you know, we all know a kid when we were younger that like just he he had that thing, you know? Yeah, I I just I want to do that. And you know what? That's the guy that you're going to go watch on stage someday.
0: I think uh, it's just occurred to me, like you mentioned the Louis C.K. show. You when he comes back, you should totally fucking be on that show. If anyone from FX is listening, you would be perfect. And Louis, I would be on that show in a heartbeat. He loves really like so many really great actors just pop up on that show and just do like one vignette, you know, like on the show. You would be one of those guys in a heartbeat. Oh, that's great. Yeah,
2: he's amazing.
0: <laughs> Did you see any other shows after Louis? Or was no, that I was really, the only one? You're I like, thought yeah. one and done, done. done. <laughs> Not gonna ruin this. <laughs> yeah, he's one of those guys that'll just. Uh, He'll just, Like, his machine is so finely tuned that he'll talk for 30 straight minutes of stuff that he's never really said before, but it just comes out as, like, comedy. Like, it's such a—it's a, a pretty—it's pretty, pretty incredible he to watch. He
2: started talking about his kids, and the, the way the moments were happening between the audience, there's no way that it was something that wasn't—it wasn't anything but what was happening in the moment right then and there. You could just tell. Just exactly what you're saying. It was just right there. I mean, depending on how big the laugh was, it would depend on where he
0: went and what he did. And uh, it was just brilliant. Does the stage performer in you kind of go like, oh, yeah, like maybe that's where where? No, that's
2: terrifying. That's the only thing that's more terrifying than standing up at a mic trying to be funny is probably karaoke.
0: At least karaoke people are forgiving because they're like, "Well, it's supposed to be bad." But with comedy, if it's not good,
2: if I ever do karaoke, it will be alone
0: in my garage. I'm telling you,
2: (laughs)
1: next to your pinball machine. There you go. I
0: like the way you're. (laughs) What would your karaoke song be? Would it be Cashmere?
1: No, 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 no. no, There's
0: too much much waiting around for that. I have to go into some I don't know AC/DC thing or something like that. Nice, nice. I really want to do. I really want to do a celebrity karaoke show. Where people just come on and sing songs they've always wanted to sing. Show like, me a with, tape. With a lot
2: live... I'll watch it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, with technology today, you could do it in your garage, and then we could just project you on the stage <laughs> in a hologram. You probably could. And then you wouldn't even know. You'd be fine. You'd be totally fine. But uh, this has been a really fun having you on. Is, is there anything you want to promote or people should look out for? Or what's your...
2: Well, you know, we got a, a you know a, a, a few things that are that are coming out this year, and uh, I'm excited about that. There's a, a, a film called Wrong, okay, um, and uh, that's that's coming out soon in, in March, and it's uh, it's so wrong. <laughs> I mean, you, just, you just go online, look at the trailer for it. It's just like wow, uh, just this amazing french director who made the film rubber you could have (laughs) stopped it amazing french
0: director and it's called wrong (laughs) come on
1: is Rubber the tire movie
0: yes 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 quentin that's awesome Um, uh i I read this
2: like a year and a half ago and my agent sent it to me and he said i have no idea what you're going to think about this but he did the guy would like to meet you the director and and I read it and he said, What do you think? I said, I have to meet this guy. He's just, <laughs> he's just insane. And uh, so uh, we made this little film on a wing and a prayer and it played at Sundance um, uh, a year ago. And, uh, and now it's finally um, uh, hitting, uh, I-, I think, the art house theaters. And it's pretty wacky, it's pretty out there. All right. And then his film Phantom I did with Ed Harris comes out uh, March 1st, I think this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, this Russian submarine movie based on a true story. Lone Ranger comes out 4th of July weekend. And did you see District 9? Yes. The guy, Neil Blomkamp, the director of that, his next movie, Elysium, comes yes. out August 9th. The,
0: they they showed the trailers for that at Comic Con. Jodie Foster, Matt Damon. Yeah. 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 That looks fucking awesome. Yeah. I mean, that guy's incredible. From, he's amazing. I mean, y- like, you know, District 9 is one of those movies where you go, go okay, well, you, you got the Michael Bay Transformers, $100 and $200 million movie. And then you got Blomkamp's District Nine, which looks better and is more compelling for like a hundredth the cost.
2: Bless you. Hey, yeah, he's he's uh, he's he's wonderful to be around and and to work with and uh, a true vision. God, that's a true awesome. vision. Yeah, I, I was I was in Prague uh, two three weeks ago. In you're,
1: the, you're in Jodie Foster's only two sci-fi movies. They, I think so. <laughs> yeah, you are. You are. I think so. <laughs> you are. Um, it's an achievement badge. <laughs> they,
2: I got a call. that They needed a couple of uh, lines 80 yard. And uh, I wasn't going to get back to the States. I wasn't going to be back here for a couple of weeks. So um, so I went to a soundstage there and, and they sent like a 90 second clip, the, the, this 90 second clip that I'm in. And I can't get into much detail because I don't want to give anything away. But I have to tell you, I had an out loud reaction when I saw this 90 second clip and I sent neil an email right away and i was like oh my god wow that was just freaking amazing buddy just amazing
0: yeah i can't wait to see what he's gonna do I with was the like, budget
2: i just you know you listen there's nothing new you know i mean it's just the way people tell stories or visually the way you know you know every once in a while a new war film comes out not that this is that but i'm just using that as an example that you know platoon came out and it upped the bar you know sure. you know it's like wow i never saw it quite like that um I saw 90 seconds of Elysium and I thought, okay I n- I've never seen that. I've never seen what I just saw on screen
0: that's wow. that's pretty amazing yeah when does when does Elysium come out
2: uh August 9th
0: okay August 9th I'm excited for that No it should be good should yeah, be really good check it out and then the uh, the South African actor who uh, he was in district nine and
2: yeah uh Sholto yes yeah he plays an insane part in this really <laughs> insane. he's great. It's just great. I mean I, I say that from the the little interaction that my character had with his, but just watching and seeing a couple of clips and that and very special. And Matt, too. I mean, way wait, wait is Matt everybody. I think Neil just, you know, he he's one of those guys that he just finds the right pieces to the puzzle and, and lets it go and, and just finds the roles for the people that, you know, are most right, it seems to really like, you know, fulfill them.
0: He seems like one of those Guillermo style directors where it's like, yeah, this is exactly what you should be doing. And even if no one gave you money to be doing this, you would still be making really cool things because they just have a way of, this is just how they, they are (laughs) film. They are film. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. He is, he is one of those guys. Yeah. This has been so much fun, man. I, it is an honor to have you on. And, uh, it's been nice to see you, William. Hey, call me Bill. Yes! yes!
1: yes!
0: We did it.
2: Took an hour and twelve minutes. Oh, oh my, my God. God!
0: Oh, only fifty-five minutes. Fifty-five minutes. <laughs> I got from William to Bill in fifty-five
2: minutes. <laughs> I might take. I might take one of those L's off. <laughs> 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 oh shit! No, don't start taking
0: away the word. Yeah, uh, call me Bill. Uh, oh, shit. Awesome. Uh, good to see you, man. And, uh, and uh, you know, when, when you have other stuff come out later in the year, come back on the podcast and hang out with us again. Nice to chat, man. It was good. All right. Enjoy All your right. burrito, everyone.
1: Now leaving Nerdist.com.
0: Enjoy Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by LegalZoom.com. Whatever your legal document needs, LLCs, wills, trusts, trademarks, and more, they've got it. Over 12 years and 2 million Americans have used LegalZoom. Start your business to protect your family today at LegalZoom.com using the offer code NERDIST.
1: Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate stable city on earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here,